everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast, where we talk about all the topics that pertain to our lives as parents, from prenatal care through parenting adults. We talk about everything. And this week, we're going to talk about parenting and politics and why the U.S. ranks so poorly on maternal child health and parenting factors as compared to other developed countries. First and foremost, though, the biggest piece of my heart goes out to all of the families impacted by the terrorist attack that took place this week in Las Vegas. Once again, an angry white American man with a whole lot of weapons took his personal agenda out on innocent people. People who, like myself and my family, we love outdoor music festivals. What's better than rocking out? What's more soul-affirming and downright more fun than an outdoor concert on a warm autumn night? What on earth about all those dancing, singing, happy people made that shooter so damn angry? You know, and at the same time that this is playing out, we're witnessing outright devastation in Puerto Rico, which is part of the United States, whose residents are American citizens. And we're watching the president turn his back on Puerto Ricans, insulting their mayor, obstructing humanitarian emergency assistance, and lying about the conditions there. I'm astounded. And once again, I'm shocked. And, you know, my if you take my baseline temperature right now, it's kind of sad and angry. And it's frightening that we live in these times. And I won't lie, it's getting to me. That's kind of how terrorism works, right? It makes you realize that, or it's intended to make you realize that nowhere is safe. No one is safe. Not our children, not musicians, not nurses having fun, not veterans dancing with their buddies. Nobody is safe here in the U.S. because here in the U.S., anybody can buy these weapons. It's ridiculous that we don't have common sense gun restriction laws, but make no mistake about it. We have laws that support people to buy guns and ammo because it's profitable and because the NRA gun lobby is deeply enmeshed in our political system through campaign contributions. I am deeply, thoroughly in favor of common sense gun restrictions and getting the NRA gun lobby out of our political system. I want to see laws enacted that guarantee that weapons like the ones used in this mass shooting and all the other hundreds of others that have taken place this year and in recent years, that the, that they can never be sold to another everyday citizen again. These are our children who are getting murdered here. This is the United States your babies are being born into. This is your chance to make your stand and decide what kind of future you want for yourself and your family. excuse me, it's hard to talk about this. Do you want a future like, you know, what most of the rest of the world has, where assault rifles and automatic weapons can't be purchased, where strict licensing, screening, training, evaluation, and purchase laws make it near impossible for people to get their hands on them? In these countries, like Japan, China, Australia, the UK, They don't have mass murders at the rate and velocity that we have. They just don't. It's the guns, mamas and papas. What are you going to do about it? Me? I'm going to continue to be outspoken that we have to enact common sense gun restrictions. I'm going to call my members of Congress and tell them the same thing. How about you? Okay, now, I know a lot of you came to this podcast expecting me to just dole out medical information or parenting advice. And, you know, that's not all that we do here. We talk about all of it. And politics is a big, big part of parenting, especially right now if you're an American, because it affects everything from healthcare to childcare to education and our children's future career options. Politics means we have laws that allow everyday citizens to commit mass murder wherever the hell they want. There's no way we can't be political as parents. We have to talk about these issues. Now, lots of times what happens when we try and talk about hard topics is that here in the U.S., we all get so polarized that we won't listen to other perspectives. 
we're all pretty freaked out right now politically and with so many changes happening at once, it's hard to get a grip. So we dig in with our opinions, right? We really dig our heels in. I mean, we really dig deep and we stay there. And, you know, we're seeing hatred up close and personal right now as a result of that. We're seeing national anxiety and fear. And, you know, when that's the normal baseline, we incorporate that into the rest of our lives. And we dig in in other places where flexibility would serve us better. And we do that all the time when we're scared, uncertain, feeling threatened, approaching all new terrain that's looking pretty scary. I mean, does that sound familiar to anybody? Whether you're, you know, thinking about pregnancy, pregnant, recently had a baby, have a kindergartner. I mean, isn't that just how we're all feeling these days? So come, let's, let's try to do something. Let's come to one simple agreement here, shall we? Let's all pick up our feet, shake the dirt off our heels, and stand up for the world we want our families to live in. In terms of the really polarizing issues that we're facing in the U.S. right now, like health care and gun control and education issues and women's rights, you know, all that stuff, sometimes what we need to do is step back and gain some perspective. We have to talk about how other countries, other families, other parents do things and how we measure up in comparison. You know, that's what we're going to talk about this week. And our guest is Sophia Petsikas, who was the lead researcher on some brand new research that looked at the best and worst countries for parents in terms of work-life balance. Spoiler alert, the U.S. doesn't come out looking so good. Let's get Sophia on the phone. Hi, Jean. Hi, Sophia. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing really well. So, Sophia, first thing I want to do is find out where in the world are you? I am in North London in the United Kingdom. All right. Mm-hmm. And I am in Portland, Oregon, which is the northwest corner of the United States. So now that we have found ourselves, can I just read your job title real quick? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Cool, cool. Thanks. Um, Sophia Petsikas is Junior PR and Content Executive at MVF and the lead research on a really interesting report that I'd like to talk about. So, Sophia, my first question is always this. Now that I've read your job title, who (laughs) are you and what do you do? Okay, well, um, I'm Sophia. I'm a researcher for... Um, business-to-business comparison site expert markets. Um, I really love doing these sorts of research projects that look into the more human side of business, um, how business infrastructures affect people in their day-to-day lives, and um, how these can be improved. So what about when you're not working? What's the rest of your life like? I'm not working. Um, well, I'm a philosophy graduate. Um, you'll probably find me uh, wandering around London at the weekend, um, taking in all the trees. They look beautiful at this time of the year. Um, and also probably um, eating some wonderful food. I'm a bit of a foodie, so um, yeah, I will be tucking into something tasty. Philosophy <laughs> student. Oh, that fascinates yeah, me. That fascinates me. <laughs> well, there's a lot yeah. there that we could talk about. And seriously, I'd love to because I've got lots of opinions about that. <laughs> but <laughs> I want to talk about your report. So yes, go ahead and tell us about, you know, what this report was is about. Let's start there. Yeah, so um, this report is about um, parents' work-life balance um, around the world. Um, We noticed that there are a lot of reports out there about paternity leave, about maternity leave, but there was nothing um, really very holistic about work-life balance for parents and what happens once you've had a family and how you fit that into your your working career and um, your lifestyle once you've had children. So, um, yeah, we wanted to look into um, the sort of standards that parents can expect all over the world, and this report was um, about that, really. So why did you do the research or what was the what was the original intent for the report? Just just an evaluation of how parents are, are 
are balancing their work and life or is there an outcome that you were looking for or tell me more um so I think mainly we wanted to um, fill a gap in knowledge about um, how um, parents really uh, deal with this um, work-life balance. Basically, you know, they have they have um, kids at home waiting for them to come home. Um, we wanted to dig deeper into um, the uh, support systems that were available all over the world. Um, so the report actually looked into um, data points from the OECD and the World Bank, and we ranked mm-hmm. um, annual hours worked, paid annual leave allowances, maternity leave and paternity leave to sort of get a really holistic view of um, how parents are expected to um, deal with um, their, their careers and their family life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every year I look at um, Save the Children's annual report about, you know, the best and worst places in the world to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And I think that they evaluate many of the same data points, you know, childcare leave, you know, all of those Mm -hmm. issues. So what did you find out? So um, what we found out, well, we were expecting... um, to find that, um, you know, the Northern European, the trendy Scandinavian countries um, would sort of dominate the top of the rankings. Um, And we were also expecting countries like the USA, Canada and Australia to also have um, really good good systems in place. But what we actually found was that um, the US was the bottom of the whole ranking. It was 37th. You oh, are we're the, the worst. worst. You we're are the worst. The absolute worst. The worst. Yeah, we were really surprised by that. Um, yeah, so, and also we were surprised by some of the countries that actually made it into the top 10. So, um, one of the only non EU countries in there is Japan, um, which was really unexpected. Yeah. And it really, you know, Finland, Norway, you know, they always do the best. They're always the number one. You yeah, know, people in every you look anywhere on anything and they're the best. They have the best you know, maternal health rates, newborn health rates, fewer mm-hmm. women die. They have great child care that, you know, it's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. That's yeah. the high bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're doing really well. <laughs> and then there's the United States where nobody, you know, except for a lucky few who work for you know, corporations, Mm-hmm. Almost nobody gets paid maternity leave or paternity leave. You you have there's laws that say you can take the time, mm-hmm. six to twelve weeks or whatever you're allotted, but you don't have any guarantee of any paycheck. Yeah, you know, which essentially for us means good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is absolutely astonishing. Like really, um, you know, when we were doing this research. Um, you know, the team and parents in the team, you know, were absolutely astonished that this is still the case in the US. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that um, obviously when you're starting a family, when you're having a, when you're having a child, it, is, it is, can be really expensive. And um, the fact that you have no guaranteed paycheck, as you say, is just really, it must be quite very stressful for families um, who, who, who don't have money to spare. Um, and so, not to mention the fact that we don't have universal health care here. And, you know, many, 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 many women leave, you know, their birthing suite at the hospital mm-hmm. in debt, heavily in debt for the price of their, you know, whatever their medical insurance didn't cover mm-hmm. if they had medical insurance. So, you know, I know that with, I have, several, I have had four babies wow. in the United yeah. States and with one of them, I was at a gap in health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was a student, my husband had to switch jobs. Our insurance is usually tied to employment. Right. And um, with that baby, we lost insurance. Couldn't afford to do anything except for have an out-of-hospital birth with a midwife who we paid cash to. <gasps> that was our solution. Oh, my goodness. That is, that is just... Yeah. I mean... Oh God, we're so, we are so lucky to have that. That was yeah. the solution. That that would be unheard yeah. of here, and and it must have been just so stressful for you, and yeah, not the way that you really want to start your family. Well, sure, but it is stressful, but it's almost something that we take for granted here in the United States. Mm. What really frustrates me is how many women don't recognize how rough we have it yeah. 
and how many parents, not just women, but men too, how rough we have it. So that's why it's really valuable to have reports like yours to sort of, you know, raise awareness around the world that, wait, there are other ways to do things. And, you know, so often this concept of Mm work-life balance is very mm, fluid or hard to understand because when you are, you know, scrambling as hard as parents have to scramble in many countries to fill the gap between making a living and raising a family, sometimes you don't even recognize how Mm. hard it is. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's not a thing that the U.S. wants to make a song and dance about. It is, you know, the severe lack of um, support for new families. But I think it really is something that, you know, we should be, yeah, we should be realizing how rough you guys have it and really be making, you know, an effort to to raise the standard there. Um, For sure. Mm. Yeah. I'm not optimistic that we're going to be raising that standard anytime soon, considering our current yes. political climate. And in fact, I anticipate that things might get worse before oh. they get better. I'm not certain about yeah. that, and I hate to be pessimistic because that's not my nature. But, um, you know, we're looking at the way things are for women in the mm. United States right now from a healthcare perspective, from a um, economic perspective, from a political perspective, you know, the whole, all of the things that we look at when we are evaluating the best and worst places in the world for, um, mm-hmm. you know, for parents. No. Yeah, we don't do mm. well here. So what is it that, you know, the best on the list what do they have that we don't have? And then let's talk about the UK. Okay. Well, um, yeah. Well, the, the best on the list, um, as you say, I mean, the Scandinavian countries have really got it going on. Um, Those show I know. <laughs> God. Um, yeah. I just think for a start, I mean, they, they offer um, paid annual leave, you know, a lot of paid annual leave um, for parents to take every year. You know, Finland offers um, 30 whole days parents to take with their children that's every year so they can go on family holidays they can really spend time bonding and 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 to go back to paternity and maternity leave um they offer a lot of time at um at full rate of pay so that whole that worry about not having you know um a paycheck to see you through that really important time is just alleviated in those countries um they've really struck the balance um well and in um in finland i know they even give um financial grants to new moms um which is obviously a really really um huge help when you've got extra mouths to feed so um yeah the 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 countries and it and it pays off in terms of higher breastfeeding rates, better, you know, newborn and, and first year health rates. Yeah. You know, if, if, if parents can afford to stay home with their newborns and you yeah. know, toddlers, then they can take the best possible care of them. Absolutely. When you can't afford to do that, then, you know, you can't breastfeed that easily. Sure. Lots and lots of women mm-hmm. here can, um, you know, go back to work and breastfeed, but you need to be in a certain type of job so that, I mean, like I'm thinking about, you know, waitresses. Yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, where are they going to go? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to take a breastfeeding break on your, you know, six to eight hour Mm. waitressing shift, somebody else has to cover your tables which means somebody else gets your tips, Mm. you know? I mean, it's just practical matters like that, that it all, it's a domino effect. If we don't support parents in terms of, you know, affordable health care, affordable, you know, paid maternity and paternity leave, Mm -hmm. affordable child care, you know, all of those things are interconnected. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It all is, you know, it's a domino effect. And I think, um, you know, one of the best the best things that um, countries can do is is just give give people time to look after their children. I mean, 
um, then then um, you know state state care and and things like that wouldn't be so so needed and they wouldn't be so reliant on them if they can just actually go home and look after their own children. Um, but yeah, I mean there are lots of obstacles. Um, in, in place with that and um, yeah your example of waitresses I mean that, that's a really tough one and not getting the tips um, when you're when you say yeah that I always come back to waitresses yeah yeah I mean yeah really tough and I think because I was one oh really I've been one as well and so yeah I can really imagine how that would be tough um, yeah yeah I think everybody should be everybody should be in customer service or should be a waiter or waitress at some point <laughs> in their life I think yeah, everybody should do it. The they would see the world really <laughs> sure. differently. I absolutely agree with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like like a lot of countries, you know, you have required um, military yeah. service. I think you have to have, re- you should have required customer <laughs> that service. That is a very good one. We'll see what Trump thinks about that one, hey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just wait and see, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what it's like in the UK. So I often talk about um, maternal health care in the in the UK because you have um, universal health care and, um, you know, maternal health care is run by midwives. Certainly there are mm-hmm. obstetricians there, you know, for anything that's complicated or that a midwife isn't going to handle. But most women there are considered to be normal and healthy. Therefore, they get the standard of health care that is appropriate for normal, healthy women, which makes up about 85% of the pregnant population. Yeah. They're going to be normal <laughs> if we let them. And, and here in the United States, something like 93% of women are taken care of oh. by obstetricians, you know, medical doctors who are trained as high-risk specialists mm. and surgeons. And so we see a really different model of healthcare here in the United yeah. States. It's expensive. It's intervention-based. It's difficult to access for a lot of women because it's so mm. unaffordable. Um, and also because, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say the right statistic, but something like 50% or more of births that are covered that are paid for here in the United States are paid for by right. Medicare, which is our, um, it, it is sort <laughs> of our universal health care policy for right. low-income families mm-hmm. or people with disabilities or all of that. Yeah, but that's a lot of us, yeah. a Big lot chunk. of yeah. people in the United States. Yeah, yeah. So it's, if you live in um, an area where there aren't a lot of physicians or obstetricians, um, good luck finding one who is willing to accept your Medicare, you know, much less try to find a midwife to cover you. Yeah. That's not happening in an awful lot of parts of the United States. Now in many parts of the United States, and I'm really considering myself fortunate to be in Portland, Oregon, because we're sort of a front runner in terms of the birth industry here in the U S there, (laughs) you you can find a midwife anywhere. It's easy to find and you're going to get midwifery care. It's, yeah. So let's talk about what, what women can expect in, in the UK. Yeah, so um, you're right. Yeah, it's uh, women on the front line. I mean, um, midwives do run the show here, and we're so fortunate that we, that we get that care for free. Um, uh, yeah, um, obviously in terms of uh, the type of care that they receive, it might, it's not really the same as obstetricians. Um, but again, it's still, it's a very, very good standard of care. And, you know, there are hospitals all over the UK that are, that are very easily accessible. Um, but in, in terms of the ranking, how, how the UK did, uh, we were a little bit disappointed that it, that it didn't um, achieve a place in the top 10. Um, but, but I mean, we were at the opposite end of the spectrum to the United States. We were still in the top half of the ranking. Uh, mm-hmm. We still have room to improve in terms of um, paternity leave and maternity leave benefits. That um, we we really fell down on that. Um, but yeah, um, there has there has been an increase in paternity leave um, in the UK. But I think there's 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 still um, a long way to go. Um, but we are fortunate. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to be generational. You know, I think that this generation of new parents, there is more general acceptance 
mm-hmm. of the concept of paternity leave. Absolutely, but yeah. I think that an awful lot of dads still feel like if they take paternity leave, you know, anything more than a week or so, yeah. then their job's going to take a hit. Or, yeah. you know, somehow there's going to be a work impact if they take that much time off. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you still get women who are very concerned about that. I mean, there's lots of arguments, you know, it, it's illegal, you know, to, um, to, to discriminate against a woman for taking her maternity leave, but, but you still have to take that chunk out. And I think, yeah, men are definitely feeling it. This, this always happens when something, something new happens, when change happens, is that people aren't really sure how to react to it. But I think you're definitely right. I hope that the, the next generation... Uh, we are, you know, changing our, our uh, the way the family structure is um, perceived. And um, I think dads really do. They, they want to get involved. They want to be there for their children. You know, dads of Instagram, um, they, they have a very, very um, big place now in social media. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, hopefully the, the younger generation will, will push for this. And um, fathers will hopefully one day be able to enjoy... Um, a lot more paternity leave than they do now. And it'll be considered like normal. Well, duh, yeah, yeah. of course. You take paternity leave. You just had a baby. Yes. Be with your <laughs> Go home. Take care of your, your yeah. you know, your baby's mom. And, yeah, give, give yeah, your mom yeah. a break. I mean, she's just, you know, giving birth to a new human. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it totally makes sense. <laughs> and totally anybody, sense. you know, that with a logical mind says, yeah, that totally makes yes. sense. Most fathers that you talk to say, I would desperately love to spend, you know, three months, Mm. six months, heck, a week and a half at home, knowing that we're financially secure and I can just take care of my family, you know, or take care of myself. They're going, you know, we always talk about the big identity shift, you know, everything changes once you become a parent. You know, one minute, your <laughs> life is one way. Once you have that child in your hand, in your arms, everything is different. Even for dads who didn't go through the yeah. physical strain, they're now going to experience all kinds of vulnerability that they never experienced yeah. before. And <laughs> sleep deprivation yeah. and stress and yeah. fatigue and anxiety and insecurity and all of those negative impacts. They're going through all of that. But they're also going through yeah. all the joy, all the yeah. fun, all the miracle, all the happiness. And then what we do is say, oh, enough of that. Go back to work. You're done. <laughs> they don't get the rest. Yeah, absolutely. I like it's a monumental change. And to not have have any time off, you know, to, re- to reflect on this amazing thing that's happened to you and to, you know, get to grips with your new life. I mean, it's just it's silly. I mean, how distracted must you be at work if you're a new dad and you're worrying about this, that and the other or you're just you know, distracted by the fact that you've got a new person at home. I think, you know, ultimately uh, families will be happier and healthier and honestly more productive in the workplace if they've had some time off to, you know, settle their family situation. So honestly, I think it's just, it it's just makes sense, doesn't it, for, for these uh, maternity and maternity leave support systems to be really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the whole idea of work life balance Mm -hmm. is something that I actually kind of struggle with because I don't know that I've ever felt that, you know, pinnacle balance where like, yeah, (laughs) it's all going perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) All the kids are doing great. Mm. The house is doing great. The job is going fine. (laughs) I'm never at that point in my life, but I do. And I'm, I'm borrowing of a phrase that a friend of mine uh, introduced to me the idea of work-life integration oh where okay, nice yeah the, yeah the pieces fit together mm-hmm. you know it you may not ever be at this point where it's all spinning on its axis you know exactly the way it's supposed to yeah but you feel more and more like okay we've got a plan we're integrated I'm doing all of the things we're doing everything that we need for a full you know life for all of us and it's going okay yeah. You know, sometimes that's the best that we can go for. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the actual, you know, balanced, perfect scale might be a little bit too optimistic and maybe, you know, doesn't work like from for day to day. The the integration thing, 
I guess, um, is a more realistic way of looking at it. But I think, you know, when it comes to um, the, the legal side of things and, you know, the statutory leave that's in place and, um, you know, the support systems that are in place, I think people should really, you know, look at it as a sort of balancing scale for parents and, you know, really put those structures into place that they think will help them achieve that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, one of the things that, you know, people who are, people here in the United States who are um, anti-health insurance for women's maternal health, anti-child care support, anti, you know, all of the things that are on your report. <laughs> there's, a, there's a contingency of people here in the United States who feel very strongly that it shouldn't be anybody's responsibility but your own mm. um, to have to pay for anything related to you and your children. You made the choice to have a child. You should have thought of that before, which is nonsense <laughs> because, you know, having children is, yes, of course, it's a personal choice. And yes, of course, parents should be, you know, primarily responsible for that child's life and livelihood and well-being. However, this world would not um this world wouldn't run very long without another generation of children. So if we took that, you know, away, mm. that, that concept that only people who can really afford it and can, could have children, I mean, we wouldn't have that many children. Gosh, Here in the United oh. States, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned pregnancies. Mm. 50%. And a lot of that is because, you know, it's hard to access contraception for a lot of people. And a lot of it is because it just yeah. happens pregnancy just happens exactly. that's how we have you know the next generation mm. yeah. of citizens of the world that's how we raise the people that are going to be our future health care providers and obstetricians and accountants and attorneys and waitresses and masons and you know we gotta have the children yeah and life just doesn't really work like that I mean you can't plan every single little thing you know sometimes things just happen and you know you you might not have saved the exact amount that you wanted or you might have saved nothing at all but as you say you know if, if people stop having children or if only you know the most wealthy people having children what sort of elitist you know horrible society would that be it would be kind of like a generation of robots. Um, we, we need, you know, right. a wealth yeah. of um, lovely new uh, minds and, and, you know, people to, to take our society yeah. forward and, and keep it going. So, yeah. Yes. And I don't really understand why the United States has to make it so darn hard on parents to just, you know, do what always done. Yes, exactly. It's, it's yeah. the natural thing to do. Yeah. And we can look at we can look at wealthy nations like, mm. you know, Finland and see the model that they employ there. And maybe we can and maybe we can't stretch that to fit a population like our own. Um Yeah. Um, yeah. But we're I not mean, even trying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um Obviously, yeah, yeah, Finland has a much smaller population, but yeah, that doesn't mean that you that you shouldn't try. I mean, you shouldn't say you shouldn't be making excuses. Basically, right. I mean, yeah, I think um, you should always be looking to improve um, your your laws and the, the infrastructures that you have in place for for the citizens of your country. I mean, yeah, um, really, yeah, I think you know it should be future proofing um your your family planning and your your structures that you have in place for the for the well-being of your citizens for sure no matter how what size you are yeah do you feel like your government has the well-being of its citizens as you know its north star oh mm, well it's, it's political now but i mean um the tories are in charge i feel like they're trying to um privatize a lot of the nhs um yeah a lot of people are trying to um take away the nhs which we hold so dear and we often take so for granted i mean just listen listening to to you talk to me about i mean some of the the aspects of american healthcare. i just think 
Yeah, at the moment, I don't think it is. I mean, if, if Labour come back into power and they, and they start improving, you know, and they, the, the, you're taking away the cap on pay of NHS staff um, and things like that, I mean, midwives are declining rapidly because, um, because of this pay cap on, on, on their profession. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, right now, the NHS isn't at the forefront of their minds. Absolutely not. Um, but we'll see. What about women? Um, Do you feel like there's gender equality? Mm, I mean, we have Theresa May now. She is, she is the Prime Minister, which is, you know, Great. good. It's good. It's, it's better than a lot of other countries. Um, true gender equality, I'm not sure we're there yet. I feel like uh, we're making some steps in the right direction. People have to, businesses now have to publish their um, gender pay gap, um, which is a big one um, in terms of business. But I think, yeah, there's, all, there's always going to be differences in, um, in yeah, how, how people relate to women and how people relate to men. And I think, as you said before, yeah, it's quite a generational thing. I'm hoping that um, in the future it will keep getting better and better um, and we'll hopefully get to a place where it's as equal as we can be. Yeah. It's not even close here <laughs> in the United States. Not even close. Not even close. In fact, yesterday... You know, Congress passed a bill that mandate that outlawed, um, you know, abortion after 20 oh, weeks. I did hear and about that. Not good. Not good yeah. So, mm. you know, here in the United States, what we do around women's health care is we have one topic that rules it all, and that is the topic yeah. of abortion. And therefore, you know, it's like, six degrees of separation, anything that has to do with women and women's health, it's like, oh, how fast can we track it to abortion? You know, everything. It's ridiculous. And, you know, so what's going to happen with this bill, whether or not it gets passed or vetoed or, or whatever, it's, it's just another statement that the United States um, will not support women to have adequate health care in terms of providing, you know, universal health insurance for everybody. But they sure as will pass laws that determine how women make medical decisions. And for, I don't know the statistic, but I'm going to go on board saying almost all abortions that happen after 20 weeks happen for yeah. medical reasons. They happen because of either maternal health complications or newborn health complications. Certainly not in every situation. Sometimes women make the choice to have a late-term you know, abortion for personal reasons, but that's not the majority yeah. of cases. And so what we're doing here is we're saying, no, we aren't going to pay for your health insurance, but we're going to regulate your health care, and we're not going to let you make the full range of choices that you should be able to make as, you know, a human Mm. being in this world. So it's still, you know, we're going to wait and see what happens with this, but it's like this all the time. I mean, there's something like, it's always like this. There's always abortion bills and health care bills and women's health bills and, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them go through Congress all the time um, because our government feels a deep need to regulate women's health care. Guess how many men's health, reproductive health bills go through? Mm, Nowhere near as many. You were close with no. No. None. Yeah, no. 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 Yeah, that's not good, is it? No, Mm. not good. Yeah, we have so far to go, and the UK is actually doing, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a little better. so far better off than we are in so many ways. Yeah. Oh. Well, what else do you want to make sure that our listeners know about the report, Sophia? Um, well, I think um, one of the, the really, really major findings was just um, how listeners should probably listen out for how um, governments and how the media talk about um, paternity and paternity maternity and paternity leave. Um, one of the really um, crucial things that we found was that um, the statutory leave 
for um, maternity and paternity leave is always massively more than the actual full rate pay for that leave. Um, this um, really came into focus. Let, let's explain that a yeah. little bit. So what you, <laughs> what that means is that maybe they're they're um, they they're legally allowed to take say, you know, twenty weeks. Yeah. But they only get paid for fourteen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for um, for example, um, Australia's state maternity leave is eighteen weeks. But um, what they don't, I mean, that sounds fine, doesn't it? Eighteen weeks, okay, great. But this is eighteen weeks at minimum wage, which you know, when you know when it when your outgoings and your bills are gonna are gonna be the same, or and you know your outgoings will most likely go up because you've got an extra mouth to feed. Um, 18 weeks at minimum wage actually works out to around half of that uh, at full rate pay. So um, you're actually you're, you're going from 18 weeks to seven, seven-ish weeks um, of actual full rate pay, which is a massive cut. Seven weeks isn't long at all. Um, and I think um, this, this happens all over the world. So the original figure that, you give you, that they give you sounds fine, but actually when you, when you look at the financial restraint that, that, might, that, that might give to parents, um, it's actually um, not that good and you know, sometimes quite alarming and also you know, really a deterrent for um, mothers taking the whole amount because they know that they, they won't be able to afford it, basically. And so that was one of the, the, the real big shocks that we found when we looked, when we, you know, we crunched the numbers and found that, you know, really what, what the um, statutory leave says isn't actually realistically, you know, the financial situation for many families. Um, so, yeah. So in, the, in Finland and Norway then, do they just get the actual, they get everything? Um, I don't. They get their full rate of pay? I they I'm sure their statutory pay is still a lot more than um, their actual full rate equivalent. So in Finland they, they get a, around 41 weeks of full rate equivalent pay, which is obviously very good. It's high, but I'm sure you know if you read media reports about that, it would actually say that their statutory leave is something much higher. But it's all those stipulations around it that they don't ever go into detail about, um, which people should look out for. Yeah, that was one of the big ones. One of the things that I really like, that I I, I um, have spoken with many parents in Finland about this, is the way that they can stagger their leave too. Mm. So that I spoke to this one woman. Um, actually, I think she was on the podcast not too long ago, and I'll have to look her up. Um, where what they were able to do is, uh, her husband stayed home with she and the new her their baby uh, for a couple of months. Mm you know, just to sort of get stabilized. Then he went back to work while she took off the whole first year. Then he took paternity leave for another year. And that's when he got, you know, he was paid for it then. They were able to stagger it. So they oh. didn't have to do any kind of childcare for two years. That is incredible. Was that was that their yeah. full rate pay for, for that whole time? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. I didn't ask her, you know, how much money did you yeah, make? But yeah. she sounded incredulous that we didn't have something like that. Yeah. And, you know, when we were done talking for our official, you know, purposes, she was grilling me like, well, how did you do it? How, what did you do? You know? Oh, gosh. Yeah. We scrambled. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, most American women go back to work at 6 to 12 weeks full time. Yeah. Either with a breast pump in their you know, in their purse, in their tote bag, or you know, with bottles at home. Yeah, I mean, this is why it's so good to get you know an international picture so that you can see, and it reminds people, you know, just how lucky they are, or you know, just how much work that they should put pressure on their governments right. to uh, to improve. Yeah, I think it really, really, the report really gives perspective of what's happening on the global scale. You know, so yeah, really yeah. eye-opening. <laughs> It is. And, you know, when you think about the really, really short, you know, number of weeks that American parents are allowed to stay home or can afford to stay home, you spend so much of that, you know, precious six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks just agonizing about the fact that you have to be separated from your Mm -hmm. newborn. So you don't fully get to just really revel in this time. 
what you have to do is you're dreading. You're dreading the, ma- the day that you have to, you know, f- turn your newborn baby over to someone else to take care of them because you have to go back to work. You don't have the yeah. choice. A lot of women, you know, they have the financial means to stay home with their children or they have, you know, a bankroll or they have, they live in some other country where they get paid leave. And so they don't have that same kind of, oh my God, if only I just had the baby and now all I can think about is I have to take her to that daycare center in six weeks. You know, it's agony. Oh, yeah. It's, it's agony. horrible having that looming over your head. Yes, absolutely. It's yeah. agony. And, mm-hmm. you know, even when you have the best possible circumstance, you're going to be turning your baby over at three months old into the loving arms of your own, you know, their grandparents or whatever mm-hmm. the situation is. You could have the best yeah. daycare provider in the world. You still have to separate. And it's not something that most women want to do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And very, very we have staggering rates of postpartum depression and anxiety here in the United States. And I don't know that people are really willing to look at the fact that how much of it is economically driven. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, really, really related. What brings on that stress and that anxiety is probably, yeah, this, this looming absolute dread of having to, you know, this, 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 you've, you've grown this creature inside of you and then suddenly you're just absolutely torn away. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's obviously brutal. it's traumatic. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure you know the cost that that has to society. You know, or you know the help that people need and 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 things like that. Would you know if people just had more time at home? Yeah, it, it would. Yeah, just that's be all we need. <laughs> a year. We need a year. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what we need. We need a year. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally. Well, I don't. Um, I am generally a ridiculously optimistic person and <laughs> I'm having a hard time with that during this current political climate yeah but I do wonder if the reason why things are happening the way they are right now here in America is so that as a society we can have a tremendous wake-up call as to you know how we are not leaders in the world we are not the number one place in the world for parents. Yeah. We're the worst. I mean, that is an optimistic yeah. way of in the develop <laughs> in developed nations. Yeah. We should. I should have said this early on. Developed yeah, nations for sure. Yeah, um, it's a lot harder to be a parent in undeveloped yeah, nations. Absolutely. Way harder. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This report yeah. only really looked at the OECD countries. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Non-developed the the um, save the. Save the Children report that comes out every year looks at, I don't know, like maybe all, you know, 180 some countries in the United Nations. They look Mm -hmm. at all of them and they evaluate, um, you know, for maternal mortality rate and all of the same issues um, for all of the countries. And the United States still just is terrible, like 60th out of 180, something like that. Yeah, the number changes slightly every year, but it never gets significantly better because we don't address the issues at hand, which is healthcare affordability, paid maternity mm. leave, and affordable childcare. And, you know, basically supporting women to be full participants in our economy. We don't do that here. Yeah. yeah. Has it ever improved? Has there ever been an, a period of improvement or you know, where, where you were optimistic about the way it was heading or has it always always been sort of no progress, stagnation? Um, I think that we saw some really tremendous progress over the, the previous um, presidential administration. I think mm-hmm. that we saw some significant changes occur, certainly in terms of health care affordability. And yeah. I know that my listeners, you know, there are going to be some out there who are not fans of the Affordable Care Act, or yeah. as it's often called, Obamacare. Yeah. But boy, oh boy, in my family, it has been um, life-saving and no. uh, super, super important to us. So I have seen, I have seen lots of incremental progress. And mm-hmm. there was a time in, you know, the 80s and 90s when maternal health care for American women was great 
It was really great. Oh, I mean, if we're okay. just looking in terms of, um, you know, mortality rates, women who die, our yeah. mortality rates were really low. When you look in terms of things like C-section rates, our, our C-section rates were really low at that time, too. Mm. And then things changed. Then the insurance industry really pounced on maternal health care in different ways. And we right. started seeing um, both, you know, intervention rates in maternal health care started to rise. Affordability of, of health care um, declined. And um, it became a lot more intervention-based. And at the same time, our C-section rates started climbing dramatically, more than doubling, mm -hmm. you know, in a small window of years. Um, and then our maternal mortality rates started to rise as well. And so now what we're seeing is, you know, women coming back to have, you know, their second, third, fourth babies, and they're having all of these surgeries because, you know, they got kind of, they got a C-section for some reason with their first one, and it's yeah. hard to get a vaginal birth with a second one. And then by the time you've got the third one, you've got lots of opportunity to have healthcare complications from three massive surgeries, yeah. you know? We just, that's how we do. <laughs> and, you know, my purpose of having this podcast and the books that I've written is because I I feel like it's so important for women to raise their own awareness about what things are like here in the United States, what it's like in other countries. How do they provide health care and child care in other mm. countries? Why does it work there and it doesn't work here? So that, you know, people can then go into their communities and say, wait a minute, that's not how they do it in Finland. Mm -hmm. They're doing great. Why do we have it this way? We're, America is supposed to be a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not so much right now. Not mm. so much. Well, so, you know, we start with raise awareness. Yeah. After that, demand action and improvement. Absolutely. And, you know, mm -hmm. many, many people in the world are already de demanding action and improvement when it comes to the status of women in the world and the status of families. Um, but many people are just getting it. You know, a lot of women in America, especially, don't consider themselves feminists until their first pregnancy. And yeah, that's and then, when they then realize. It all changes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. That's mm -hmm. when they get it. That, yeah. oh, I just got demoted. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And I am not going to be supported by our society in the ways that really, really matter in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, economics. You know, if I can't afford to take care of my own child and I can't afford child care, then we've got some real problems. Yeah. In the way that our next generation of global citizens is going to interact in the world. We've got some problems. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that way, does it? No. I mean, well, hopefully, you know, this report and, and others like it can you know, really help to raise awareness and just um, make sure that people, you know, read about things from a different perspective and, yeah, just, just feel, you know, inspired to make a change, basically. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, <laughs> God, just to, I know, so much. We could talk about this all day. Yes. Um, but I do want to ask you just a couple more questions before we wrap up our conversation. Okay. And this is where we start getting more personal. Okay. <laughs> How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Um, I think nobody ever told me that. Women would still be fighting for equality in the 20th century. I think we've still got a long way to go, and that's probably a very ambitious statement, but I think... Yeah, I think it's it's high time that we took, you know, bigger strides in achieving it and that governments got behind us and, you know, really fought for women to be equal, for sure. Yeah. And if they did, we would change everything. You know? <laughs> we would. Yes, yes, we would. I hope so. We'd have, you know, a whole new way of doing things probably and be, you know so innovative and so successful hopefully I think yeah it's it really does um 
upset me that we're still, you know, we have so much obstacle, so many obstacles in our way. But yeah, hopefully, I'm, I, I'm optimistic that we're gonna keep moving forward. Well, I like to, um, you know, imagine. I want my listeners to imagine a conference table where women's healthcare and um, child nutrition bills are being discussed, okay? So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about maternal health care, and we're going to talk about child nutrition programs. And we've got this, you know, big conference table, and we have a conference table in two different rooms. In one room, and that room is probably in the United States, Mm -hmm. um, that conference table is, there's only men at that table. Maybe there's one woman. Maybe there's two even, you know, but mostly it's going to be men, 99.999% men in that room. Mm Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen is they're going to make really different decisions because, you know, for probably most of the men at that table, maternal health care isn't something that they've ever thought about and they don't consider important, even if they have children. Mm. And child nutrition services, you know, support isn't even on their radar. Yeah. Many of the men at that table, maybe they haven't even packed a school lunch. It's just <laughs> not there for them. Yeah. You know, they're, they've got another they're bringing other things to the table now imagine that conference table is in another room in another country where that government has equal representation of women in their government yeah so we've got half women half men at that table and when the the topic of maternal health care comes up you can bet it's going to get discussed because half the people at that table get it and when it comes to child nutrition programs that need to be supported you can bet that the women at that table are going to say, oh, no, we are not letting the babies go home. <laughs> We're taking care yeah. of this. Now, I'm not saying that the men at the table, you know, are bad guys. Mm-hmm. It's just not imp- it's not on their radar. It's not imperative to them. They have different priorities. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it's <clears throat> we need women at the table. We, we need 50% representation at the table. And when that happens, we are going to see society change because the issues that are important to yeah. women are going to become important. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. They need to be on the agenda, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We got a long um, way to go, huh? Really, yeah. <laughs> Lots to do, but we'll get there. So then my last question Mm -hmm. for you, Sophia, is this, and you answer it any way you want. Where are you in your life in terms of motherhood, either professionally or personally or in maternal health, however you want to answer that? Okay, well, I'm still quite young, so I have not started my own family yet. Um, But I think that, I mean... We're, we're so lucky as women to be able to, you know, pr- provide the next generation. We, it is a miracle, like birth is a miracle. And I have absolute huge respect for all the women who have had children, who, you know, really value that their families. I just think family is the most important thing to so many people. And I think, you know, if I go on to have my own family or when I go on to have my own family, I would like there to be the structures in place for for women everywhere um, to be able to do this amazing and beautiful thing without, you know, all of the obstacles that are currently in place for some women. Um, I really think it's just the most natural and amazing thing that you can do if you want to. Um, it, obviously, it's your choice completely. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I just have huge respect for, for women and mothers. And I think that I, I am a feminist already. I haven't, I haven't had any babies yet, but I'm already there. Mm-hmm. Um, strong um, feminist opinions. And I think that we should, you know, in our own countries and internationally, we should be doing everything that we can to make sure that, um, yeah, this, this amazing thing is, you know, really supported by governments and by everyone, really. So, yeah, that's where I am. That's a really good answer. Well, so yeah, this has been... A fun conversation about a really important research report, and I really appreciate your coming on the pod and talking to us about it. Thank you so much for having me, Jean. Thank you. Great, and I bet we'll talk again down the road. Yes, love to. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.
Bye. All right. Our guest today was Sophia Patsikas, who is Junior PR and Content Executive at MVF. And you can find them over at mvfglobal.com. And you'll find a link to that study that we talked about in your episode description wherever you download your podcasts. You can learn more about me at genefaulkner.com. Email me, gene at genefaulkner. Tweet me at genefaulkner. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, wherever books are sold. It's everywhere. Go buy a copy. We are looking for sponsors, so send us your questions about that at info at genefaulkner.com. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this with your friends. Thank you for keeping this conversation going. And let's talk again next week. Bye-bye. Someone will look at me.